0: Welcome to For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray, founder of Creative Side Jewelry Academy in Austin, Texas. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is to not only inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Beth Milner. Beth graduated from Northern Michigan University with a BFA in metalsmithing in 2008 and launched her jewelry business out of the corner of her kitchen. In 2012, after years of establishing a local name for herself at shows and festivals, Beth was ready to transition her business to a brick and mortar location in downtown Marquette, Michigan, where the jewelry is handmade in the studio above the retail shop. She currently has seven employees assisting in the shop and studio. Beth's designs are inspired by Northern Michigan's forests and Lake Superior shorelines, so they embody the beautiful, secluded, natural lifestyle so unique to that area. In this season's final episode of For the Love of Jewelers, Beth shares how her business developed, her approach to community, marketing, and running a socially conscious studio. Hope you enjoy. So we're here with Beth Milner in Chicago, Snag Conference 2019. What, what? This is the 50th anniversary of Snag. Beth and I go back
1: a few years. We met... We met in Asheville, North Carolina. That was my first year at Snag, and I was hooked ever since <laughs> that was your first year yeah
0: yeah and I remember you you came right up to me at one point and introduced yourself and that's we've kind of been buds ever since at the symposiums. yeah at, definitely I recognized
1: you from uh YouTube back in the day where after I got out of school and I was just looking up lost wax casting and here comes Courtney in her her studio talking about casting and so I I thought that's a great segue to just meet someone at this conference and and say hey I watched your videos almost 10 years ago and what's up you yeah. know yeah that's so cool, yeah. and I, it
0: it gives me such a boost to know that like those are even still out there because it was so long ago and. Um, it's part of what helped me start Creative Side. I think, were those videos. It was interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you can really get to know someone's personality through that. So I thought, well, they seemed nice in the video, so I could probably just, just talk to this person. <laughs> I don't think I remembered your name uh, at all, but yeah. it just was easy. And then we ended up rooming together last year. I was like, I'll just message her and see if she wants to share a room. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's fun here
0: is we get to connect with people all over the world. Um, we're in all over the country who we wouldn't meet otherwise these conferences are so important
1: yeah it's so great for your um your your development around what you do besides your social life and it's so easy to just strike up a conversation around metalsmithing or art because you know we have all that commonality uh so you can just talk to anybody find someone with a name badge and you're like hey yeah. What's up with you? <laughs> yeah, and you're brave about that. Some people I think have a harder
0: time with it, but you're yeah. pretty courageous. I mean, what furious. do you got to
1: lose? They don't want to talk to you. You only see them for a few days. <laughs> What's the worst possible
0: outcome is a no or, you know, Which I'm has busy. never happened. So I yeah. recommend just <laughs> introducing yourself. Absolutely. And even to those people that, you know, may seem uh, you know higher ups in the craft so to speak or like Tim McCrite is walking around the conference Charles Luton Brain I should introduce myself to Tim before this is over I felt oh, a little awkward left already oh well I that's should, okay I <laughs> should have introduced you last night next time he is the sweetest man um, and so approachable and yeah. so willing to share openly and talk with anybody he's he's really a truly humbled individual who's just got this big giant heart
1: yeah he seemed just gentle you could see it in his eyes you yeah. know he's super nice and he's so famous you know we all use his Have book his it's, book yeah you know. everybody went through schooling and had one of the tim McGrape books and yes. maybe taught and used the book too so it's it sort of brings these people down to earth to see them just walking around like the rest of us sleepy from staying up too late chit-chatting with, with each other mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so fun i love these yeah Um,
0: so let's talk a little bit about your company and how, how far you've come when you introduced yourself to me a few years ago, Beth, you were saying, uh, I started my shop and I'm setting it up and your videos really showed me that I could do it and, um, kind of brought it down to earth, so to speak as the conversation I remember anyway. And, Since then, you have started a brick and mortar. You have, right? Yeah, I think the
1: videos were maybe a bit prior to opening the store. So I started in um, 2007, and I actually graduated with my BFA from Northern Michigan University in 2008. So I was still in school, and I thought, what am I going to do with an art degree? Uh, I should start now. And so I did a couple of art fairs and sold my jewelry at a couple music festivals and opened an Etsy shop when nobody knew what Etsy was. And so it's kind of funny to even say that now. It's been so long. Um, And then I, you know, I did the art fairs for a while and it it was the way I got my name out there and it was the vast majority of my income was coming from that. Um, I got my work in galleries on consignment and did some wholesale and, and through that Etsy shop, I ended up wholesaling to a guy in Israel and some people in France. And that was just like mind blowing to me that I'm selling things worldwide. Uh, but it's since changed quite a bit, and, um, you know, the art fairs were, were really fun, but I realized the part of it I really loved was networking with the other artists, and I could do that without actually setting up a booth, um, but it it was really great to learn what customers and viewers of my work were really looking for, because you get 30,000 people walking past you in a day, and you can, if you're really good at social cues, you can really learn what they respond to. So but the te- setup and the teardown and the weather and outdoor shows in Michigan is is a bit much. And so I started thinking, what can I do instead of this? And then in, in the same time my my online Etsy shop was growing a bit. And I thought, you know, I maybe I should rent a space outside of my house and, and start kind of getting a bit more out here locally. And um, I saw this building for sale downtown. It had a for rent sign, and it looked really cool. There was this great spiral staircase, and the front of the building had be re- been remodeled, and it had this big bright orange sort of part on the front of the facade. And... Um, I thought, this building looks cool. I peeked in the windows. It was awesome. And then a few days later, the chi- the sign changed to say, for sale. And I thought, oh, I can't buy a building. Like, I was five years in business, started with literally $1,000 of student loan money, borrowed nothing to that point. And I had I had grown it. To, we had bought a, a meager house that needed remodeling, but, we, you know, kind of built something out of it. I had paid off my student loans, which was like mind-blowing, and, but I went to a small school, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but I was able to kind of I'd gotten further than my peers, which I'm really grateful and lucky that I was able to do that with my art. Um, so I saw this building, I had a couple of friends, and they're like, you can buy a building. I was like, how do you buy a building? Like, And then I found out you need 20% down for commercial property, and... I was like, oh, that I don't have that. I had 5% of the asking price. So I thought, what am I going to do? And they're like, oh, Ask Northern Initiatives, which is a community development financial institution. And they lend to people who almost could have gotten bank financing, but maybe just aren't bankable. So I didn't have enough of a down payment for the bank to finance me. And so what they did was they lent me the other 15% of the down payment, and the bank did finance me. And I bought this building, which had three apartments in it. And I quickly took over one of the apartments, but those apartments really buffered the cost of a mortgage mortgage. Um, and so I opened up the store literally three weeks after I bought the building because it was already painted. It looked good. I found some used display cases, which looked pretty decent, um, for being used. I bought whatever I could at the thrift stores and like invented some displays. And I literally opened three weeks later and I knew I only had to sell one piece a day to succeed. And I was already almost doing that online. So yeah, that was 2012. And, um, so that's kind of where it's gotten to this point. And, um, exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. And and now I have, you know, a group of employees. So I have eight people working for me. Seven of them are full time. And that's sort of a big fast forward in there. I just did. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's really rewarding to be able to support other people's lives and enable them to work in a creative atmosphere in a town of 20,000 people in Marquette, Michigan. I mean, to have a successful business of scale in a small town is doable. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And You know, I'm talking to gallery owners at this conference here that have have a business, and maybe they're they're seeing some struggles here and there with sales, and I like to tell them the success story of a tiny little business uh, in a tiny little town at the end of the road that's making it through utilizing e-commerce, social media, online ads, and community engagement, and... Mm -hmm. um, using my my beliefs in um, the environment and having some ethical practices around what I do, I feel like are the fundamental things that have allowed the success. Mm,
0: that's awesome. So it's a, you have kind of like a uh, combination of things that you've uh, put together. It's very strategic sounding. And uh, one is social media, you mentioned um, doing the ads, community engagement, um, all important, right? So yeah. without one of those things, like you said, it may not be be growing as it is.
1: Yeah, and initially I I made sure I didn't put too many eggs in one basket. So I did art fairs, I did online, I did consignment, I did wholesale, I did custom. And now we're honing that into like I have a store, we're doing less custom for less of the year and I get to spend a lot more of my time just in the studio. But I, I like to talk about, you know, when I was in school I was really concerned about the materials. Like I I was feeling, we watched that Blood Diamond movie in one of my, I had an indigenous environmental movements class, and that'll scare you out of precious metals and stones real fast, because it's really heavy and really scary, and you don't want to play into that um, destruction of our natural environment if you can, and so I was afraid to even ask my suppliers, and then I had been buying silver from from Rio Grande, and and they sent a flyer that said, our silver sheet and wire has been recycled for 25 years. And I'm like, oh, my God, I was feeling all this guilt and fear, and I should have just asked. It wasn't that important to people to advertise that way. And now it's, I think, fundamental to some of these supply companies to brag about that because we want those things. Yeah. Um, and I was very vehemently opposed to diamonds until I realized I could go um, to Hoover and Strong and get recycled diamonds that have been taken out of other jewelry. And I can work with local copper that was mined a long time ago and sat in someone's garage for 30 years. And that's kind of like recycled in my mind. And Um, So I I really wanted to make sure I was following my own personal beliefs about being good to the environment as much as possible while running a business Mm -hmm. using natural cleaners using recycled packaging and something that will benefit me as as trade changes and some people are really dependent on things that were manufactured somewhere else. And if, you know, important, I don't fully understand the politics, but I know that some of the steel industry is, is suffering from tariffs. And people who are, I've read in some groups, oh, I get my boxes from this person, and now there's this import tariff that's going to really raise it. And I was already trying to source U.S. made because it's less travel for these goods to get to me, so it's better for the environment. And so it's interesting um, to, to feel like, oh, I'm kind of set up for that already. And so... Mm-hmm yeah, really making sure we're, we're following ethical practices. We even allow the staff to like come up with an initiative that we are going to follow for the next quarter, just to be a little bit better. You don't have to be crazy about it. You can just do a little thing like, yeah, we're going to turn lights off when we uh, get go out of a room, or we're going to ask people if they need a bag versus do you, do you want a bag and Mm -hmm. need and want are kind of two different things. Um, and so it's just subtle things like that we can do to kind of reduce our impact a little bit mm-hmm. the footprint absolutely and so yeah
0: you've kind of built your business and one of the things that you mis- mentioned is you've built your you feel like that's part of the reason of, that you're successful as well is the um is that you know the ethical background and like how you're approaching how you, you know, the materials and all of that, is it—is that become important to your customers as well as your staff and and yourself?
1: Yeah, it really has. Um, It made me feel good about being in this business to do it that way. And I don't think I could work for myself or someone else if they weren't trying to be as righteous as they can towards the environment. It's something we all got to do, I feel like. Um, And so for my customers, initially people be like, what is recycled silver? Just like Rio Grande might not have been advertising that they had recycled silver, worried that it might reduce the, you know, the value in people's mind or something. But um, so the customers would kind of ask. And now I feel like that was about to be what people wanted. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, but they just didn't know it yet. And so now people come to us because we have recycled metal. And a lot of the other typical traditional jewelry stores aren't really advertising that, but they probably have a lot of recycled metal in their pieces too, because that's that's the nature of metal. We can recycle it. Um, we sweep up everything off the floor, you know, every little bit, and we recycle that too. And so it's that's become important to us in the shop, and the customers really respond to it. And as we tra- attract a younger audience over time. I think that's, so important to millennials and younger I know the millennial generation spans me I suppose and lots of other people but Mm -hmm. I I think like people want to feel good about what they're purchasing and if they aren't being educated about what you're using at least you know they aren't going to know and so we really push eco-friendly jewelry and then I recently hired someone that I I bet the reason that she she applied with us is because of that Mm -hmm. and so we're able to retain the the workforce of the people who are up and coming customers um, because they don't want to work for some Someone that they don't feel good about working, and I want to pleasantly surprise them with the fact that we use natural cleaners too, and we we use hand towels instead of paper towels, and you know, yeah, we really do our best, and I think it's fundamental to the success.
0: It's a core value for your company. Yeah, yeah. and I
1: would s- say that people should really ask themselves, what are my core values, and how can I find the customers that share those with me, and the mm-hmm. employees too.
0: Yeah, and serve, and surround yourself with like-minded people who are yeah. Doing, Doing the things that you're doing that are important to you and your value system and your principles. Yeah, even, like you said, even the customers. That's, I think, that's pretty important to talk about for sure.
1: Yeah, and they may not know that they want it until you've told them. So hopefully you engage them with your designs you know, first in a sense. And then they're just like, really? It's recycled, guilt-free, buying all the stuff, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, now I'm doing something good and I'm getting something beautiful. And, yeah. and to feel 100% good about your purchase, like that's, I mean, s- sometimes when you're really a, a hardcore environmentalist, that can be hard. It can be hard. Do I put a plastic lid on my coffee today? I probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Should I, we, they've recently stopped recycling glass in my little hometown, sadly. It's like, oh, now I can't buy things in glass. Um, uh, right. Or maybe I can reuse this thing bunch of times so yeah it's some of those thoughts of you know someone like me or customers that we have those go through your head every time you do a thing and and the less you know bad you can feel about a purchase the better let's talk let's
0: let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um well I'd like to ask how old you are
1: I'm 36
0: 36 years old yeah started your business at what age
1: well it was 2007 so I was pretty young yeah um yeah I had I was still in college and I had taken a year off. So I can't remember exactly. I'm going to do some math in my head here, but <laughs> I was in my early twenties, you know? Yeah. People would come in, they'd be like, how old are you? Or I saw some guy at the post office around the holidays, you know, you're in a small town, you know, everybody I'm like you're Beth Milner. I thought Beth Milner was a 50 year old lady. And I'm like, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> <laughs> not, yet. No. Yeah, not yet, but hopefully not for a while. Like, right. Another yeah. 25 years. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so that's, it's pretty bold to start that young. And I think that's, you know, right out of college or even in college, there's a lot of people. I just spoke to a young lady that's uh, coming upstairs to meet with you, Beth, who, who's at that crossroads, you know, she just finished, uh, she did a four-year undergraduate then she did her master's and she's just coming out of that. And she's been in school for a long time. She's in an incredible debt, you Mm -hmm. know, um, she's, she's really confused about what to do now.
1: I yeah. think that can be really hard. I I I guess I only really know my own personal way that I, I dealt with that student loan debt, and I was lucky enough to get some grants and scholarships because I transferred from the University of Wisconsin, Marinette Small Community College. That was cheap. And then I got really good GPA and I only ended up with $20,000 in debt. And that's pretty nominal now that I realize how little it was. But when you're coming out and you're earning waitress wage or that's about how much you might make selling your jewelry or maybe not even that, it can be pretty daunting. Um, But coming up with a good plan, a business plan and a strategy to achieve it um, and sort of keep doing your best paying off those debts, but don't let them ruin your life by gaining too much interest or don't let them control you by feeling like it's the most important thing in the world too. It's like that tricky balance of like maybe you do the minimum payment for the first few years of your business and then but get on it don't defer those student loans like keep paying them because bad debt is bad debt and you don't really want that to impede i think a lot of young people might not realize or i didn't cuz no one told me you might not be able to borrow to buy a house if you have too much student loan money you might have a trouble getting a decent car loan rate so you know I was really thrifty. I'm still thrifty. I buy most of my clothes at the thrift store. I don't need to anymore. Um, but I'd rather k- keep that money close to my business and my employees um, and, and in my community than, than kind of s- sending it out there. But I wish I had better advice on the student loan thing. I hope that our country gets it together so people aren't coming out with these fifty, hundred dollars $100,000 debts. Yeah, it's, um,
0: it's intense. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, it's defeating. You
0: know, it's like... what what am I going to do, you know, how am I going to, how am I I ever going to pay this off? So anyway, again, I do hope that, that we can show you things with that, but we're not going to solve all the problems today, Beth. We just I can't. wish we could. I wish we could too. Beth for president. <laughs> <laughs> a snake? No, I'm just kidding. Beth Milner. Hey, maybe, maybe you would be a great down addition the road, to Down the road, down the road. Yeah. a little more years under my belt before I'd want to do that. Me too. I'm doing so many things. It's hard to think about adding one more right now, you know? Yeah. But it's nice to get involved. I love, enjoyed being on the education committee this year and just having a voice in, in that and how we can push it as we move forward. And, you know, it's going to be a project, but yeah. uh, it's good to get involved with the, uh, with the community and again like I don't know try to, try to reach out on a broader level and I guess that's the goal here as well you know.
1: Yeah some of the things you know when you're starting out when you're really trying to save is really don't buy all the fanciest tools. You don't need that much. I started with $1,000 of student loan money. Now, that was 12 years ago, so let's say it's $2,000 now. I bought the white tent, I bought a set of files, I bought a jeweler saw, I worked in copper with little accents of silver, and I made a business card uh, that I could cut in half to create the tag because that was cheaper than getting a custom-sized thing printed, you know, and uh, get, get your graphic design skills going. I mean, technology, I think young people have that at their fingertips way more than I ever did. Um, And so really just don't live beyond your means as much as possible. Drive a used car, you know, walk as much as you can. Maybe don't drive if you're in a city and just really don't, you don't need all the tools that that studio had. You might really want them, but you can start with really a basic kit. I started with a thousand dollars and turned that into, you know, the ability to have five percent down on a building. I had I had like fifteen thousand dollars saved up after five years, uh, and I was paying my way, paid my student loans, and th- you can get yourself forward. If you're in a city, you have so much more access to customers than I did. I live in a in Marquette, Michigan. It's winter for like eight nine months out of the year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it at least come in, get warm, buy some jewelry. Yeah, right. Yeah. And at Christmas time, you might really come in. So right.
0: <laughs> Well, I think you're brilliant, you know, talking with, with you, Beth, over the last few years. And we always get into these, um, I hate to tell everybody, late night discussions and, but it's fun to have a buddy who's also a night owl like myself. And we, you know, we, it's feel, I feel like my creative is up at night yeah. and I have, um, some, a lot of processing time. It's also quieter, you know,
1: it's funny as I'm actually a morning person, but I'll take a nap midday when there's a break <laughs> and then I can stay up late too. So I can enjoy all the early morning talks and stay up all night. But. Smart woman. <laughs> See,
0: so, so smart. Um, talk to me a little bit We're we're kind of on the subject of community and, um, and how you began your business. You have a lot of, and then I definitely want to get into the social media tricks and tips that you have and share those with everyone. But let's, I really want to hear about more when I was looking at your website just recently, the your fundraiser program and your brand ambassador. And don't forget to go slow. Cause these are super important things I know. that I, I think are important. I just talk to so quick. I'm like,
1: can I get it all in right now? Because you have a <laughs> lot to share. Yeah. 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 Um, I think community involvement has been really important for me. You know, I think in the the small town I'm in, it's really a sweet spot to be involved in community. And I know a lot of people that might be listening to this are in bigger cities, but I think your community exists in your neighborhood almost. And so what I, what I did was, um, I, I've always donated. So even back before I opened the shop, I, um, there was a hurricane that happened and I think it was Haiti and I thought, okay, I'm going to sell these things and I'm going to donate a bit back because at a certain point when you're successful financially, it feels a little hollow just to keep making more money. Um, and I felt like I had a bigger duty to the, the world around me to help people. And so what that's kind of morphed into over the years is um, we created a fundraiser program. So rather than me reaching out and just like giving these donations, we put out a call for applicants and we decided to work more locally. And so we, we ask for nonprofits that are, Um, doing something good for the environment and hopefully something for the arts. And so one of the two. um, And so that's turned into us getting about 50 applications each year of local organizations that would like us to design a custom piece of jewelry that I have full design rights over and I choose what the piece is going to be. And then we sell that piece and usually we try to make the price point 125. and it's, we do a lot of lost wax casting so we can make these things affordably and, um, they get $50 from each one sold. And so this last cycle, we're almost done with, with the, um, upper peninsula animal welfare shelters, you um, we, we did a fundraiser for them and we actually raised them $7,000 through the sales of these pendants. And I can't do the math in my head, but I think it's like 175 pendants sold over the last nine months or so. And, um, you know, it's profitable for us and it makes money for them and it's great for the community. And to me, that's like the perfect... Uh, trifecta of positive things to put out in the world, and I think it really works to have them apply with us versus us reach out to them, and I make it easy. I know there's so many grant applications that are overly difficult for people. It's just one page, but it makes them try for it, and they tell us what they're going to do in regards to helping market these things, too, and that organization, um, it was very much due to to their ability to get that reach that really helped, and so it's a little tricky because we want to work with all these really small nonprofits, but we need some that are a little bit more medium-sized and they're able to to get that reach. I mean, they're posting cute Puppies and kitties all day long. It's so easy to get a like on Facebook with a kitty. (laughs) Super smart, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And you're giving back. They love that. It's a win win. Yeah, and we put that call out once a year and we um, do the whole Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which isn't that many people, but it's a big landmass. And we pick four people each year and then we launch those in two separate cycles. And so I'm in the process of designing one for the Peter White Public Library in Marquette. And the other one is for our children's museum. So those are the next two coming up. How
0: cool is that? Yeah. How do you spread the word about this? Are you just create a list of, uh, of these, these uh, places that are are seeking donations and, yeah, we,
1: we use um, project management software called Trello, and so we have a big, huge checklist. Because when you're doing something annually, it's hard to remember what you even did last year. And so we have a checklist that we duplicate when this program starts. And we do anything from press releases um, in newspapers. This is We don't do a lot of those, but when you're doing a community program, you can utilize traditional media that would usually be paid in a different way. So you could get on the morning news, you can... Get, you can do press releases and papers, publications. Um, you can use obviously social media, a few paid ads, word of mouth um, but th- I think through those special programs, that's kind of the ticket there. You can get in some uh, in front of a lot of people by getting on the news to talk about these things because you're helping nonprofits with your business. You're not just running an ad for your for your business so. right
0: right super super uh, I love that approach. Tell me about this brand ambassador program that you guys are working on. That is, is this
1: a newer thing? It is newer, yeah. yeah. I, I think the brand ambassador started about a year after the fundraiser program, and um, we wanted to, you know, you hear all this stuff about product brand influencers and things, and I don't really know how to get a hold of those folks. If you're one of those and you got, like, a huge following, get a hold of us. I don't know if we'll believe <laughs> you're Bel- real because we get a lot of emails. BethMilner.com,
0: dot, dot right? Yeah, BethMilner.com. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Milner with two L's and an N because everybody spells it wrong, but mm-hmm. we got about a – bunch of the other URLs, too, just in case. Uh (laughs) We'll link you below, too, Beth. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, So our brand ambassador program is a collaboration with an individual. So we also do a call for applicants where we give them a list of things that they need to do, and then we give them free jewelry, discounts, uh, gift cards to hand out that then they can give to their friends. And so we ask them to post on their social media, to tag us, show off the jewelry, kind of do some unboxing things where when they get the pieces, they unbox and they show a video. Um, We're still working on that. I feel like... We've, we've gotten some really good people locally, and I'd like to get some um, people with a bit more traction that aren't local, um, but we've had some really kind people that we've worked with, and it's kind of fun because they get the jewelry at a discount, and we get that organic reach through social media that's so hard to achieve these days where it's hard to, to get that if with you know, without a really amazing post every time.
0: Right. Yeah. super smart. It's partnering, you know, partnering up. Yeah. And
1: you can turn, um, a a fan, you know, of the jewelry into someone who's doing some more natural advertising of, of what they would do if they were buying the stuff anyway, kind of, but just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Where do you come up with these ideas for promotion? There's this company in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan called Stormy Cromer, and you might have seen these little um, plaid-slash-flannel hats that have ear flaps over them. Um, If anybody has one, you're going to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But they're... uh, a a medium-sized company that does all of their sewing and manufacturing in Ironwood, Michigan, which is up in a very small town, uh, smaller than Marquette where I live. And I, they have a brand ambassador program. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. So I picked the brain of one of their previous brand ambassadors and kind of asked him, how did it go? What did you do? And how did you make this happen? And I, I don't know how big of a company they are, but I bet they have a couple hundred employees at least, and they distribute all over the Midwest, and there's probably places here in Chicago that carry um, Stormy Cromer. So I saw someone else doing it, and I found the people that were involved in it and just asked them questions, buy them lunch. You can get a lot of information out of buying someone a cup of coffee or lunch and, and just asking um, yeah, what's questions. up with this, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, super smart. Let's talk a little bit, too, and then I want to talk about your personal work and your seasonal – you do a lot of seasonal pieces, and I think that's really another brilliant approach to – for many reasons. Actually, let's talk about it right now. um, Why do you work like that? I mean, I know you're in Michigan, and there is this apparent seasonal, you know, um, that's probably attractive to your demographic there and specifically. But talk to me about how that reinvents your design – each time and is that why you do it or is there other reasons?
1: A little bit of both you know when I first started I do a lot of pierced and sawn um, figurative work so mainly trees are in my pieces I mean I live in the woods there's trees everywhere there's so much forest where I live and so uh, the first tree I cut out was just a rectangle of copper with a tree and I'd go to the art fair and it'd sell and it'd sell and I'd make five or six they'd all sell out I'd make ten they'd sell out and I thought wow I love the look of this and so do they and so that tree you know it was more of an artistic evolving in the beginning I thought well maybe I should make the four seasons that's fun actually what happened prior to that was I put leaves on one side of the tree and since the tree is pierced through the metal I realized wow you can flip this thing over and you've got a winter tree and you've got a summer tree and then I was like reversible people are going to really like that most people don't flip to that winter tree very often but it it was a good marketing point and I thought the force you know four seasons is sort of a thing a lot of artists work within and their design aesthetic um, but it kind of started way back then when I you know started out and I think sometimes those best designs to kind of follow through are the ones where you really love it and oh my god they all wanted to buy it and then follow that vein you know and create your sort of body of work around it Um, so the seasonal thing sort of started with my artistic inspiration and I could just design for what season it currently was. But right now I, it's turned a bit more into a marketing thing where I have to kind of pre-think when are these pieces going to come out that I'm designing now? And I have to put myself in that season, which is a little bit tricky in when winter is coming, but when it's the middle of winter, I do want to put myself in spring. So I just kind of put my mind there and start thinking, oh flowers because it takes about 5 weeks with my office um team's process to kind of get a batch of jewelry listed on the website and on the shelf it it surprises me sometimes how long it can take but there's a lot of work we do we have like a 150 point checklist for every batch of jewelry that's launched so the 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 four seasons and that natural aesthetic have kind of evolved over time from this one just silhouette of a tree that i did many years ago wow yeah and do you, you still love it um, that I approach? do yeah. yeah and you know I have I have a great team of people so I have my studio assistant Nina um she does a lot of work in the studio and then I have um a whole office team doing photography graphic design web design um data tracking ad programming and so with with that whole group of people a little bit of all of them is utilized to launch, do a product launch mm-hmm. um and so I do really still love cutting out a tree. I feel like I can just change a little bit of the gesture of the tree. And they, they feel like people to me. When I put two trees, I feel like they're two, two people kind of leaning into each other. Or if I pe- put the pair of earrings on the tag, I want them to kind of not lean away. I want them to lean in. And I, I think about them as little, little, little people kind yeah. of and the gesture <laughs> of them as, as like a human would be.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, you could talk more
1: about that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I find I used to just do a singular tree, but I find myself more and more wanting uh, more trees because to have, have people around you and have a community and have that support. I think that the tree is such a great universal symbol, right? It's, um, growth change. It's the natural environment, which I love and want to preserve, it's my surroundings, and everybody in the world, I hope, knows what a tree is, right? So it's that symbol. Literally everyone knows what it is, and it means something to them. And so that's that's been something that I've kind of kept following through because it's so important to me. I love that.
0: So people ask me a lot of the time, they're like, oh, so you teach at Creative Side? And I say, well, yeah, kind of. I, I do teach, and I'm a teacher. I coach teachers now, and I, you know, I teach them how to teach. Um, but I don't get in the classroom myself, and, uh, you know, the fun part, too, is that I get to interview people like yourself, and I get to inspire on a different scale, in my mind. um, What do you, how do you, do you still get time at the bench? Like, are you at the bench a good portion of the time?
1: Yeah, actually, I mean, intermittently, sometimes I'll step away for a week to help with some techie project, because I'm kind of a nerd. I did it all in the beginning, so i know how to do it all but I oftentimes tell my staff like oh I don't really know how to do that but if I really need to I do know how to do that I just want to enable them to do it um but I do I've kind of set my business up you know initially when I opened like six seven years ago um it got to a point like in year two or probably year two or three where I I kept hiring people to work in the studio thinking that's where I needed the help and oh I can hire art majors and they can have a cool job but they weren't interested in being on the computer all day and doing the sales and marketing and emailing. And it's so easy to forget that that is a lot of work. It was like half of my time spent doing everything but making the jewelry. And then once I hired people to help with the jewelry and they weren't so suited for the office, then I was a hundred percent in the office. And I was okay with that because I, kn- I knew it was what I had created, but I wanted to change it and be in the studio. And so the real ticket for me was hiring an operations manager. Jana has been with me for five years and um, she does before we hired a team for her. She did all of that. She wrote the checks. She answers the email. She takes the pictures. She updates the website and she was doing all of those things that I didn't realize were really a lot of work. Um, and it's so easy to forget that that's the real, it's all work, but that's really work. Um, and so now I spend, You know, we sometimes for insurance, we have to calculate what portion of each person's time is spent in each department. And I would say I probably spend 35 hours a week at the bench and maybe not even five hours on admin. Um, I'm very lucky to have a group of people that can run the store while I'm away. I've been gone for eight, almost eight days I'm not going to be behind when I get back. I was designing one of a kinds and having fun before I left. And that feels really freeing. What's funny, though, is about being that free is sort of like sometimes if you don't have to do something. Nothing's pushing you to do it. But then coming to Snag will re-inspire me and then I'll just want to yeah. do more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's impressive. 35 hours at the bench a week.
0: You're managing eight
1: employees, seven employees. You know, employees. it's funny as Jana manages those employees. And uh, Nina, my studio assistant, I pr- promoted to assistant manager and I got her, you know, able to kind of keep our, um, we use a tray system for making, w- restocking and, and fulfilling orders. And now she organizes the tray system. And so really like, I'm trying to get my business to a point where it's not reliant on me except for new designs mm-hmm. um, because I've. I think it's smart to not have all your eggs in one basket because if you, once you get to that point of growth, and initially it's going to be all on you. Um, but once you get down the road, I, what if something happens where I have a family member that's ill? I, I need to be able to get out of there for a few weeks. I put 12 years into this. It can't be so reliant on me that I can't spend a little time away, because I can't have it fail on all of them just because maybe something wavered for me. Same thing for all of my staff. I need to kind of build it so any one of us can be gone. So my next hope is I have a part-time studio person and maybe they'll want to be full-time in the future or we'll be hiring once we need someone um, to to help in the studio just to back up Nina because Nina's been with me five years too. And to have those, you know, my whole staff is amazing, but I'm very fortunate to have two core people in both departments there for that long. Uh, That's a big part of why it's successful. And I don't really manage people. I mean, I do the interviews, but Jana does all the evaluations. We do performance evaluations. You know, we talk about raises and things, but I I let her kind of run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and to find someone with that aptitude is is um, amazing. You know, I'll joke with my f- other fellow business owners, and everybody's like, everybody needs a Jana. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that person who you trust hundred percent you know 150 mm-hmm. uh, percent with your baby or business is so such a personal thing. Um, and you seem to have the ability to like, let go. I think that's a big thing for artists that start their own business. It's, we have this mentality. It's almost ego that says so hard to let go. Yeah. Like I'm the only one who can do this part of the job because I'm the only one who's been doing it. Yeah. I've I've
1: realized over time, if I'm not there when a new person is training in, it's way better. Mm. I, 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 you think that, Oh, I should know the most, but you can't be an expert at everything. And I think someone who's learned it versus someone who's invented it. Like if you've invented this process or this system, you, you hold a lot of like pride around that invention. And I think a a trained employee just shows them how to do it, you Mm -hmm. know? And I might've trained someone in the studio in the past, like, this is really hard. It's okay. If you mess up, it's really hard. You'll probably mess up. Like, or Nina will be like this is how you make the earring hooks I'll come check on you Mm -hmm. do you get it do you Mm -hmm. feel like you feel good about this and she'll just walk away and it's like you just release them from feeling all that pressure that I was putting on them of failure. Right. right? And sure. It's fine if they mess up like that, you know, so I, I feel like I wear noise canceling headphones a lot in the studio, noise canceling Bluetooth headphones. So I can listen to some music or podcasts. Cause I'll find myself chiming in when they are trying to figure something out. There's plenty of them. They don't need me to figure it out anymore. Um, Good advice. Yeah, it's real hard, though. I had yeah. to wear the headphones, so I would shut up.
0: <laughs> you know, I might take that and go home and, and try that. Yeah. It's it's, nice. it's really hard, too, because we're problem solvers. Like, or it's challenging, I should say. I don't like the word hard, but... Um, we're naturally we're jewelers we're problem solvers we want to fix things you know mm-hmm. and for me i know it's like if i hear somebody's struggling with a decision
1: or they're na- either they're, either they're just like, navigating like you're a t- decision tensioned incorrectly you're like i got to fix it <laughs> uh-huh yeah exactly i can
0: hear that from across the studio uh, I can hear the flex shaft motors from
1: the classroom. You're pushing the you know? pedal too yeah. hard for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! But my teacher caught it, and it's fine. You know, it's like and, and, some, and not to even have to hear that they caught it and fixed it uh-huh. saves a lot of mental space. I find. Ooh, mm-hmm. good point, Beth. Good point. Um,
0: who was the biggest influence to you as you were getting into the business or growing up? Do you have Do you have a main influencer?
1: I think it was a lot of working in small businesses that didn't last. I grew up in an even smaller town, and um, I had a couple of really great art teachers in high school, and we barely had a jewelry segment. Um, we carved one ring and cast it in pewter in a soup can, and that was my first metals experience, and it was fun, but I wouldn't say I would have been hooked at that point, um, but those two high school art teachers, well, I'll go back a little bit of a step, so they were really influential, but I worked at a coffee shop. My cousin owned a coffee shop, and um, When September 11th happened, we went from selling 14 cinnamon rolls a day down to one and the business had and eventually closed. And I, I always had ideas of like, what could we do better? And what could we do to get more people in the door? And I drew all the posters for the little bands that would play on the stage. And I would make the sidewalk sign. And just seeing that, you know, I, I said, oh, how about we print off all of the, the things we order? And if someone empties the container of chicken salad that we order from the supplier, how about we just mark it on the list to make your job a little bit easier? And so I just always felt like, even when I was in a... In a, a an atmosphere that I enjoyed working with my cousins who I really, you know, care about. Um, I felt like I had more ideas that I wanted to implement. And they appreciated it some, but I think at a certain point, you know, as the owner, you can't take all of your employees' ideas. You've got your own. You're waiting to implement. But working in a small business, and they'd say hi to everybody that walked in the door. They wouldn't engage the customer. They would treat them well. Um, those little things taught me about how to service a customer. Um, and then to go back to those high school art teachers, they actually opened a candy store. And so while I'm working at the coffee shop, my uh, high school art teachers, I had just graduated high school and they, I took it like a year off before going to college and they opened a candy store and I'd, I'd be in that candy store and kind of that same thing with service. And it was really cute and nicely decorated, but, I, you know, they said, okay, try things once in a while so you know things taste like dangerous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, but no. I'd, I'd eat a piece of candy, and then it would go all day, and no one would come in. And I was like, shoot, I ate one piece of candy, and no one even bought one piece of candy. And you could see the writing on the wall at that point that it's just it was a small town. People weren't shopping downtown. You know, they're buying their, their Hershey's instead of their nice truffles at the local candy store. And so I, through that, I kind of learned what, what didn't work but it wasn't really due to them. It was due to the the market and mm-hmm. the people that were there and their, their maybe lack of interest and the economic downturn. And so that, that coffee shop and my cousins that they opened a second location in the neighboring town and I'd work at both and it, that didn't really work too well either. Actually, it's a long time now, but he just opened a recording studio and they moved to Tennessee and it looks like it's doing pretty good. So he had a big music passion, but having working in those small businesses and I had a landlord actually at the same time, I had three jobs. I was 18 and I had the keys to three businesses. I was pretty proud of that, you know? Um, but I, my landlord had an embroidery and t-shirt shop and he was so disorganized, right? Like, I—he won't hear this. I—I I really highly doubt. I haven't <laughs> talked to him in so long, but he didn't even have a system to keep orders organized. And I was like, "Can I?" put last names on these folders and make you a system for your customers. And he was really nice, but he kept his big this was just a weird place. He kept his big Newfoundland dogs in the bag and it just smelled like dog in a t-shirt shop. It's like this is <laughs> this is what not to do, quite frankly. But he was really kind to his customers and all of these people were. And I think that was my takeaway is if you're standing at an art fair and you're not saying hello and really meaning it to everybody you're not going to sell anything sales is a relationship with the customer and making them comfortable. And the, some of the, the, the artists that are of a different generation, um, maybe they're in their sixties or so now I see them standing behind the, the wall and waiting for people to come to them. And art fairs used to be that way. They are not anymore. You need to engage those people and say, hello make a meaningful gesture towards them and then also learn how to stop conversations politely and move on when they're not going to purchase. Um, it's a tricky finesse, but kind of went on a little bit of a tangent. But I think working in small businesses that due to forces outside of their own or maybe with, within taught me a lot about business. And, and then a lot of it is just reading and researching and, and learning what I, I don't know.
0: You didn't get a degree in business or marketing, did no, you?
1: No, no. Do I have an honorary one by this point, I think? Yeah, I think, <laughs> you, I think you should. Or you do you want to dis- give me that cap and gown right now? Yeah, <laughs>
0: we should cap and gown you. And or you should write some sort of training for jewelers on uh, how to get, you know, how to play in the community, how to participate and get your work out there in different ways. And you, you're really creative with, the, with those approaches. I'm bragging on you, Beth, because I really do. I, I think you're brilliant. You're whiz oh, with, thank you. you know, I see what you're doing with your social media. You've talked to me a lot about social media. Let's, let's curve into that. And then I definitely want to talk to you more about you. And I'm going to give you some really quick questions in a little bit here too. We're going to do sure. our rapid fire. Awesome. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, but yeah, we, we've again spent a lot of hours talking about just j- basics of social media and ads and, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about, Can you share some of those with with our community? I think it's so important.
1: Yeah, when I started my Facebook page, right after college, I had... uh I graduated from Northern Michigan University in 2008, and I decided to take my jewelry around the country in a pop-up camper in a station wagon. And so that was during uh, that economic downturn we were having. And so I I paid for a booth fee in Florida, 700 bucks, and I'd make 700 bucks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> going to be in debt on a credit card. This is bad. I shouldn't do this, but I'm already really far away and I got to keep going. I signed up for these shows. And so I um, you know, I did that traveling thing, which is really fun. It's more accessible now than it's ever been. If So if that's sounds enticing get your website going you know go to the shows um but the social media so like at the end of that trip i was in southern california and i created my facebook page for business when they first were invented and i called it beth milner handcrafted sterling silver and copper nature jewelry whoa because (laughs) (laughs) because no one had a name for you know i didn't even know what it was right um but you could get organic traffic back then. Those were the good old days, kind of like the art fairs where people just pull things off the wall. You didn't have to engage them and they'd buy well, social media, you could get organic traffic and it was awesome. And so I did build a lot of my following back then, um, through giveaways. And so I'd do a giveaway, like this page, tag a friend, share it. And I'd get a couple thousand followers, you know, maybe more. Um, and so we still do giveaways and they do draw followers. Um, so that's kind of a way. Make sure you're following the rules of whatever platform you're on um, doing these, um, but make sure it's it's pushing that reach out to other people too. So like the like, share, um, tag a friend kind of a thing works really well. And we don't do them too often. You don't want to give away everything, but it's a good way to build an audience organically. And I think that still works. Um, we have a really systematic approach to our social media these days. My staff decides on. Like four or five items for the the week that they're going to push on social media, and so um, it's a little bit complicated to explain in words, but w- visually it's not that complicated. So we might have an A, B, C, D, and those are four different things we want to be marketing, and then. Ba- it, uh, a to-do list populates in our project management software each day that says whoever's customer service number one, so we just number each person that's on the schedule. So customer service number one should post about A at this time of day. And so we kind of have a matrix that we've put into a checklist system, which sounds way crazy, but um, it took us a little while to come up with it. But that makes it so each person, the intention of it is each person is posting about something different and not at the same time of day. Um, and using different imagery to do it, and so we post to Instagram four times a day. We post five stories a day, and we post to Facebook. F- I think it's three times a day. You can tell I've been letting other people do this for a while. When I hesitate, right. I don't remember. I think how many? How yeah, yeah. So that's our non-paid stuff, um, and we post a lot. And people are afraid to post a lot, but the thing is, if they're following your page, they're not going to see every single post you put out there. It's not how it works. Like unless they've like, I can't, there's like a separate thing from liking a page, maybe a follow where they will get like a notification of everything. Um, but not everybody does that. And so, you know, it, it's not it, be interesting if you're going to post a lot of things, try and be engaging. And it, it works well for us to have so many people doing it cause they all have a, a different thing to say, but we've, we've helped them kind of have an authentic voice around the pieces too. Um, so we do that much posting. There's scheduled posts for when we're closed. And while I've been here at Snag, I saw some comments on our project management software about, oh, I, I read this article, and they're talking about popular times of day, and it's kind of changed. And then I see the manager telling the assistant manager to oh, research this a little bit more and let us know where we should change it in in the template of of um, our social media posting. And so they're they're honing that in all the time and doing research to make sure we're staying up with the times of how how it's changing. And then we have a pretty large social media advertising budget, and so I spent a lot of time learning the Facebook ad program, programming platform. It's, it's really powerful, a bit clunky to work in, um, but we really do a lot of paid ads every year, um, and we do a lot more of them during a sale. We realized if we're having a sale, we can put, we might, I don't know if it, there's a limit to how much money we can put there, but we've seen it pay off every time. Um, so we, we do quite a bit of that.
0: Yeah, I I've, I don't know how much success we've seen with paid ads. Can you do you? Have, is there a certain approach that you're using that may be different than others, or research yeah. that you found on that?
1: I read this book called, um, I think it's called Building a Story Brand. Story Brands in the title, and they had this sort of process where you write a story about the the um, the character who has a problem and they might, there might be a villain that's affecting them, and you paint yourself kind of as the hero. And so I'd recommend reading that book or listening to it while you're at the bench and um, and kind of, kind of diving into that. They have a nice little piece of paper, and so we might say, okay, let, let's think about someone who's shopping for an engagement ring, and let's call him Jeff. So Jeff doesn't want to go to the traditional jewelry store and get a blood diamond in some newly mined gold because he wants to feel good about putting this on her finger, right? And so how do we paint Jeff as the, I, I might have said it wrong a little bit before, but paint Jeff as kind of the hero of his own story. And we're just the leader as kind of the concept. And so through kind of a little bit of a creative story, we'll sit down six of us and now they'll do it without me <laughs> while I'm making stuff. Um, and they'll um kind of come up with these little story brand scenarios to kind of better think about who the customer is. This is traditional marketing, right? And artists don't necessarily think this way, but if it helps, think about who's the viewer for your art. Who is this for? You know, who do you see wearing this? Is she 50? Is she 40? You know, who what is what is the person buying it? And through doing all those art fairs, I had a pretty good sense of the type of people who were buying it. So that's a good way to kind of start to figure it out if you have a hard time imagining it. Um, so through through that process, you can really start to learn about demographics. So you learn about the gender maybe, or you learn about... Um, where they live, what type of shopping habits they have, what are their interests, and you start to really hone in on an audience um, of people that you try to bring in and start to introduce them to your brand. And once we, so I would call those people maybe cold leads if you're kind of putting ads out to people who are likely customers but maybe haven't bought. And then we developed a click funnel. So that might be something worth Googling, but it's basically the system of a, an email pop-up Sign up for free shipping, they give you the email, that's golden. Get a lot of people on your email list, no one can take that from you. Um, and social media changes, start an email list. First thing you do, if I can backpedal at all, always first show, even if you don't have a way to write an email, collect the email address. Um, and so, you know, we, um, well, I lost my train of thought a little bit there, but. It's
0: important though,
1: I, yeah. I waited
0: too long to do that, and then I was, you know, kind of starting from. It feels like you're starting from square one once you realize that um, that that's what you you should have been doing all along. You know. Yeah. And now it, it's kind of like a game. It's like, OK, how many emails can we get this this show? You know, and because it is it's so important.
1: Yeah. And of all the marketing we can do that literally an email list is something that they cannot take away from you. So that's really kind of important to have. Um, so, you know, with the funnel on the website, we basically people look up funnels. I think it's like a big, bigger picture, but it's, it's basically taking a customer or a potential customer and, and offering an incentive for them to make that first purchase. And the longer they wait, once you have that email address, the better the deal gets. Um, and it's, and we've Turned a lot of people into warm leads that way through getting the email, and then they turn into customers, and then we start to do more of our customer um, advertising towards them. So that funnel has really produced a lot of a lot of of customers. Um, And another thing with social media is the Facebook pixel and the Google, I don't think it's called pixel, but there's another bit of Google code. And those are the creepy ads that find you on Facebook and show you the thing you were just Googling, you know, Um, it it, in, if you're on my website, you're going to get a Facebook ad afterwards for sure. But it, it's a little weird pop-ups are a little weird, but I think if we don't utilize all of the techniques that traditional sales and marketing are using, we're cutting ourselves short. Why not try and take a little bit of the, 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 marketplace of people buying nameless faceless things produced with you know sweatshop labor i mean it's extreme but it's true it could be true um or substandard wages and and bring that back and and try and um you know follow those same marketing techniques that they're using and and bring them to the handmade world and so the the pop-up ads you mean this is the how Facebook has a pixel
0: explain. Yeah. I'm like this thing, what's a pixel Beth? So (laughs) a a
1: Facebook pixel is just a bit of code and I don't know if it works with every platform, but we use Shopify for our website and it's a bit of code that you install on your website, which then tracks who's come and then you can program ads to the audience that that pixel has created collected essentially and and put those ads back out to that same people so you can even say if they were on if they're on the website for more than two minutes i'm going to put in the ad but if they were less i'm not going to advertise to them or if it was only five seconds i mean obviously they weren't that interested you know if it was really short so basically through kind of collecting that data through the pixel and you can't see that data. That's all Facebook's. They got it. You know, they're probably selling it to other people too. Obviously, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, they start to track all of the things that that you're doing online. Um, but through having that pixel, you can remarket to them.
0: Got it. Mm -hmm. So guys, when you're shopping for a tool and you see Rio Grande pop up, it's because, you know, if you're Googling something, that has the terminology, correct? That Mm -hmm. that applies to what Beth's selling or what you're selling. Yeah, definitely
1: with Facebook. It's like, even if you're logged into your Facebook on your phone and you're in a separate browser, that's tracking, you know? So if you're logged into Facebook and it's closed on your browser, it's still tracking. So if you don't want to be tracked, that's, you know. (laughs) Um, But... I think wouldn't we all rather, I mean, it's a little bit weird, but wouldn't you rather have an ad for something you want versus things you don't want? So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to, you know, if you search something by accident and it's weird stuff
0: starts popping up, I like that it's done per second, like you said, or how many seconds did they stay
1: here? And so,
0: mm-hmm. you know it's something of interest, but... You do
1: have to be aware, though, that like, if someone doesn't make a purchase after a certain period of time, you don't, you we've all gotten ads forever for something we looked up once. And you're like, quit showing me the ad for the mattress. I bought a mattress. Leave me alone, (laughs) you know? And so you just kind of have to be aware that you don't want to be hitting those people over and over and over again. And you can set there's so many metrics you can set in the Facebook Business Manager. There's the boosts that you're probably familiar with if you're, you're kind of li- still tuned in on this ads thing, but there's the whole Facebook Business Manager, which is way more robust, and either hire an advertising agency if you're in that position, or learn it because it is how things are advertised.
0: How did you learn all of this research?
1: Taught myself, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I started wondering how are these ads showing to me of something I just Googled, and then what do I even look up? hmm <laughs> you know and so I I really just dove in and and learned and I listened to books on marketing Although sometimes they can get pretty outdated um, I really just a lot of research and learning and just you find something that could be a potential and just get to the bottom of how it works and and figure it out and, and if you have a staff of people they can help you implement it. And you mentioned
0: earlier, too, how many on the staff are working on your marketing? Well, you're so all I, sounds like you're all doing customer service and marketing.
1: Except for one, yeah. Nina is in the studio. Actually, I have two. So Nina is full-time in the studio. And then um, I've got Taylor, who's kind of brand new with us, and she's really doing great. And she's she's doing some, some cleaning around the shop and helping make earring hooks kind of entry-level position. And then everybody else. So there's there's about to be an eighth starting maybe today. I can't remember her start date. Um, but there's six other folks that are doing all of the, the stuff around marketing so that one of them is taking all the pictures and editing. Um, we've got the manager who's kind of overseeing it all and can help any one of those people, operations manager. We've got her assistant manager, um, who is doing all of our data analysis, programming the ads, but not necessarily coming up with what they're going to look like or what they're going to say. Um, and they, they do anything IT-related that we need to because they're kind of specializing in that way. Um, and then we have the new person we just hired is going to do customer service over email. We've got another part-time person who is doing the item descriptions uh, and blogging. So they're, they have a writing degree or they're about to get a writing degree in the next few years. So they're good with the words. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Was that six? Oh, and then we have a graphic designer that just started a couple months ago. So all of those folks that aren't in the studio are doing customer service also. Um, So they're making jewelry as well as these duties? Nope, they aren't. So I only have... two people helping me make the jewelry. I, I used to have it be that way where the people in the, in the studio would help with the customer service, but it is pretty hard to stop in the middle of soldering to h- go help a customer of or answer the phone. And so I've departmentalized a bit, which has only been an asset to the business to start um, separating who's in charge of what. Um, but even during a, an event, I go downstairs and I'll do customer service, but I like to kind of bounce around the room and just engage people because I don't do that anymore. So they're happy to see me and talk to the artist. Right, you know? of course. Mm -hmm.
0: That blows my mind that you have so many people working on just the marketing, the content, uh, producing good content, you know, getting it out there. But that's part of why you're successful. Yeah. It's
1: a really atypical model. I, you know, I was talking to my accountant and I was like, can you help me better understand like how a retail business, how much money they spend on advertising? And she's like, you're unlike any other business I've ever looked at. She works with a lot of small businesses who hire out those things. If we add all of the labor on, to all of the dollars we spend in ads, it would make us look like we're running incorrectly. But all of those people are so knowledgeable when it comes to selling something and doing the marketing because they're doing both. So if you're hiring an agency, I mean, their knowledge is going to have to be limited because they're not doing your business 40 hours a week. They're doing other businesses too. And so that's worked really well for us. I don't know if it's the smartest way. Sure, maybe I could make a lot more money doing it differently, but I It's not really just about the money. I like having this team of people that's really knowledgeable, and we throw a lot of events where we can draw a lot of customers, and we need seven, eight people on customer service in our tiny little shop so they can all be selling, and one can be like running and pulling things for the online orders at the same time. That's so fun. Um, Did you teach them how to do this, or did they
0: come in with a background in...
1: Only recently are we hiring people who actually have some experience. Although the new salesperson we have hired doesn't have jewelry sales experience, but they love the brand and they love jewelry and they're a good customer of ours. So if if we didn't hire them, I would hope they would have applied for the brand ambassador position. Right. Um, And so we're just getting that point. We just hired a graphic designer who we brought um, from a city a couple hours away and she had gone to college in Marquette and, um... So, we got her to come back to Marquette, you know, and she was so excited because people bleed out of Marquette. There's just, it's a small town with not a lot of jobs. The hospital is the main employer, and they're kind of going through a rough patch in the community, and people are leaving, you know. Um, And so, people get their degree and they have to go. And so, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I'm offering decent pay for, um, you know, people who've come out of an art program in a town where there aren't really art jobs there really aren't a lot of a lot of jobs for people but i i hope that can change Uh, Mm um yeah Hmm.
0: smart smart woman um let's do our rapid fire you ready for this I can talk really fast Uh, (laughs) as we learned. Yes. But so much information in each sentence, Beth. Thank you so much. I think you can slow it
1: down, right? If you're listening to this recording, there might be a feature to just (laughs) make me talk like
0: this. (laughs) I'm sure if there's not, we can research it. We can find a way, right?
1: Yeah. I don't mind if I lower a decibel. That's Uh, fine. I
0: love it. I love it. So, um, okay. Most inspired part of the day for you to work.
1: Like seven a.m. to nine a.m. Okay, I like to get up really or six thirty. I like to get up really early, and yeah. I fe- I like get out the door as quick as possible. I can drive to work in five minutes, and I'm like in my studi- studio studio, kind of groggy, and I'll be having my coffee and like you know the bench, and I like that quiet time in the morning.
0: Yeah, before everybody gets there.
1: Yeah, I need to kind of have a bit of that. I can't design with everybody there, so I'll do that either from home or in the early morning. The headphones help, but I just I really need that like solitude to be doing designing. So I kind of do that alone. Absolutely. Um, do you have
0: in your, well, you're working on a new house right now, so I don't know if I can ask you about Oh, that. it's finished. It's finished. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So f- what's your favorite room in the house?
1: Oh, I really love my living room and my birds. All the birds are coming because I'm so far up north. So we just got hummingbirds last week and uh, I'm kind of a bird nerd. And I found this really cool app where I can take a picture of the bird and it'll identify it for me. So I, I love the living room. I have a view out to birch trees and just forest and, um, it's, it's just beautiful.
0: Oh, that sounds nice. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to visit. You're going to give me a social I have media a spare bedroom. <laughs> come visit, come to the North. We got to get you down to Austin too. come take a class with us or spend some time there. And it's a fun city. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest strength in your eyes that you have?
1: The ability to probably hop into any department in my business and, um, and do it. You know, we recently made a operations manual of everything and now I can hop in. And if I've, I'm a little rusty, I can just look it up and then I'm like, yeah, that's the process for that thing. Um, so I think that that might be my business biggest strength and kind of trying to see myself as a leader versus the manager of people. It has been something that that I think is a good strength, too. It's hard to to think of myself that way, but trying to, to lead them versus manage them.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Co- it's like coaching instead of like, let me just kind of, we're going to work through this and navigate it instead of telling them what to do, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, what you mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I, yeah, that's exactly what
0: I mean. Yeah. Management, management. It's it's a challenge. There's a li- a thin line sometimes, you know,
1: there is because sometimes you have to put on your, your, you know, boss hat and be a boss. Um, but I, we reserve those for our performance evaluations. So mm-hmm. we do, when someone's new, we do a month months and then we do biannual performance evaluations and we kind of flip it on its head we actually have them evaluate themselves and we do you know the managers do an evaluation too actually Jana does most of them and I would only do the ones regarding the studio now um, and we find that the when there's generally an issue is when they really are mismatched and the employee thinks they're doing great when in reality they might not be but that opens up that space to have that conversation and sure we might say oh you made this mistake here but that's the place where I can say you know maybe you missed too many shifts over the last year. Um, and I think I need you to start making those up to, to fulfill your duties as full-time. And we find that like through not constant sort of S- interaction over new, like the how they are as an employee, we've been w- able to kind of use those performance evaluations as like a really serious talk mm-hmm. of, you know, compliments, but things we need to see change at the same time. And that makes it so it's not like daily sort of interaction around, like what could be better, you know? So you just kind of pause
0: say, Nope, I'm not bringing that up right now. That's going to be in the per- performance review.
1: Yeah. If it's more of an overall, like how they are as, as an employee, um, And if it's if it's just a little correction, you got to say it in the moment, though, be like, oh, you were you were late. That's not okay. Like, please, please make sure you're here on time and then just drop it, you know. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes to just choose your battles, like just be done with it once it's done. And then if it's still nagging, then maybe it needs to come to the performance evaluation.
0: Yeah. Or a meeting or something. Yeah.
1: Or a meeting or a talk or maybe you need to try and improve this in the next two weeks here. Is there one habit you're working towards altering? Ooh, that's a really good question. Yeah, the the headphone thing, I need to like let them do their job. Okay. Yeah, I I'm always working towards that. I find myself like getting into their their business when, you know, they know what they're doing. They're running that shop beautifully while I'm gone and they're totally fine and just getting out of their way. Mm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. To put on the
0: headphones. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna, my team is gonna thank you for that. <laughs> for that tip, Beth, because I'm like the worst distractor there is. You're you kind know? of mom them, right? Well, I just get so many ideas all the time too. I'm like, you know, we're the creative oh, yeah. brains and, um, and it takes creativity to, to come up with new ideas and run a, a business. And uh, but it's I have like a, there's in my, a time and a place Yeah, and I make a big
1: list of ideas, and I, I, I add a – this isn't our project management, but I add a color to that, the list if I really want them to think about implementing those things first so mm. I can kind of steer the ship. And then I kind of wait until someone's about to go down the stairs. If I really want to say something to one of them or, hey, check out what I'm working on, I'll, mm. I'll wait until they're about to go do something else so I'm not – because I can constantly interrupt them, right. and I, I'm like my own worst enemy. I'm like, this is inefficient and costing me a lot of money. I should shut up, but the headphones really help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm just, just too excited. I got to talk to someone about it, but I can wait. That's
0: my issue too.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and they they can tell you as like, well. I call myself
0: the tornado. Sometimes I'll come through, and it's like, oh, I've just got all these, you know. Uh, it's popping, and I really want to share it. Like you said, I want to share it with somebody, and my team is there behind me. And I, that, of course, that's the most natural person to run to and share the ideas with. But yeah, it's really yeah. D- Jana really nice. and I have um, don't
1: distract your team. Yeah, don't distract your team because they are trying to focus <laughs> um, yeah, and don't enable enable them by solving all the problems. For exactly. Them. Yeah. Exactly. And same with a student. You know, you want them to learn. By doing, by failure, too, or by making mistakes. You can catch them before they make every mistake because our mistakes are, you know, what we learn from. And if someone makes way too many mistakes, that might be an issue. But, like, we are going to all make mistakes, and we got to let people work those out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, What did you want to be when you grew up? An
1: artist. Yeah, always? Always. Really? Well, one time, this is a funny story, I was just a little girl, and my mom will bring this up once in a while. She's 70 now, so she's getting older. But um, I was on the swing set, and I said to her, Mom, I want to be a swinger when I grow up. (laughs) No, you did not. (laughs) I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) And I do remember distinctly with a a balloon that was blown up, and I was bouncing it on my fingertips. And I said to my mom, Can I be a balloon bouncer when I grow up? Mm. But I was a real little girl then. But I've always been an artist at heart. I've always wanted to be an artist. Oh how cool! You made it made it come true for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you most grateful for? The group of people I have around me that enable me to spend my time doing what I love, and that's designing new work and coming to a conference like this, and not feeling like I've got to work, even though it's technically a work trip deduct mm-hmm. those things on, you You know, yeah. count those as a, an expense. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for my significant other, Mike. He, you know, he built our house with a team of people and he has supported me through the years. I haven't mentioned him probably enough, but he filed corners on silver. The first year I was out doing shows and helped me set up the booth and take it down innumerable times. Oh gosh. Just to have someone to go grab me some food so I could keep selling, you know, yeah. fill my water bottle, please. Um, the, the people who have supported me through working with me and enabling me to, and believing in what I was doing, those all, and my accountant even, she, she's an ego booster. Way back when I started, she's like, you can get this business to do a hundred thousand a year. I was like, you're crazy. But now, you know, it's pretty exciting. We had a month where we did that last year. I am almost embarrassed to say it because I grew up, I started with nothing. I was poor college student like most people but I guess the reason I feel okay saying it Courtney's like are you okay talking about numbers like I don't know if I'm okay with it but I'm realizing through talking to all these people that telling you what you can do and where what you can achieve it'll enable you to believe that it's possible Uh, because it is because it is your proof it's possible
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and there's a lot of people doing it and I think that's the thing. There's this starving artist mentality that happens, and you know that's kind of cliche to get into, but it's it's true. And I had a friend. She's a sales rep for a sales manager, really for um, AT and T. You know, totally random, right? I have this random group of moms that we hang. We, one works at Dell, and one works at AT and T. And I run a creative school, and we all just do. One is a music teacher. We kind of all do very different things. Anyway, she said to me one day, and it stuck with me was. She goes. You gotta let go of this thought that you're not that you can't make a certain amount of zeros. You yeah, happen. you really have to believe in it. Let go of the zeros. She yeah. said, Let go of the zeros. And I it have, didn't I hit like me until later. I like had this moment. I was. I remember the moment because it was just washed over me like things do. These like big downloads that we get. You know when it finally something sinks in. Um, and I remember that. And I did. I just made a choice. I said, you know what. There is no limit to this. There is no limit to what we can do or create for our career or for our life. Sky's the limit. There's no ceiling here. And and really, once I made that choice, I saw a humongous shift in the enrollment at the school and the people I could bring
1: into the school and the people that I could influence through that. And you have um, to really believe it. You do and, and take it. action. And take action. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You can't. Th- on the flip side, you can't think. I'm going to be discovered and make a bajillion dollars. Unlikely, sadly, right. unlikely. No. Um, yeah. I had a similar experience with the the decimal points or zeros or whatever. Um, not decimal points, zeros, really. I, I w- remember placing like my first $600 Rio Grande order and I was like, oh my God, right? I'm buying all this silver. And one year I did really good and my accountant's like, spend some money so you don't have so much taxes. And I got to buy $3,000 in tools. And I had to almost tell my brain it's $600 or $60. I mean, it's, whatever. I had to take some zeros off to be okay spending it. And on the flip side, the same way with making it, it's like, it's really crazy to think to have a six figure month. Wow. You know, I, my first year out, I made $5,000 and I thought I was killing it. Second year was like $18,000, and that was killing it for me. It was more than I ever made waitressing, Um, you know, and then it, it kind of only went up from there. But one thing that happened is I had some help, and then I didn't, and it was flat that year. We didn't grow, and I was like, oh, that's obvious help means you're going to make your business better. And so as I've been adding all these people, we do a lot of budgeting and sales goal setting too. And so we, we set a a stretch goal, we call it for the first quarter. And I let my Jana, my Jana, my operations (laughs) manager set that one. And we were within $200 of that. I mean, when we hit that six figure month, we were within 10 grand of the goal. We were over 10 grand, but the goal that we had set, but we've, come really close by hundreds of dollars. When you're talking of tens of thousands of dollars, you have to, you really have to set careful goals that are calculated, but also believe in them and dream a little at the same time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And writing down the, the you know, with a vision board thing, like getting, getting those numbers in front of you, I think is really helpful and in front of the team that's working with you.
1: Yeah. I was always a little bit afraid to share that kind of thing. Me too. Um, and I think like it's okay to share it. They are excited when you're succeeding as a business you know this is the first year I showed them like how the profitability has increased through the last uh, since we opened the store and you're seeing this big huge arc upwards. I, I still wasn't as comfortable sharing the actual figures I don't know why, but um, but just just showing them that through their hard work they've been able to do this and they can obviously see Beth was able to build a really beautiful house Re- well I call it a remodel it was really like building a house. <laughs> um, you know, and they, they can see that I have those successes, but I'm humble. I'm driving a junkie car still. I actually have to replace when I get home and the gas tanks rusted out, you know, so that I happens. can be doing really well, but I still am a thrifty person and that's how you can keep those, those dollars close to home too. Yeah. In case something does change, right. Or yeah, you the lose economy a change. That's
0: a, you know, what
1: do you have a training setup up uh, for? So if somebody were to leave your company, do you have that? Yeah. Right? We have kind of like an onboarding and an offboarding system. We, cre- I create, I actually did create this one and, and, let my team kind of tweak it, but I created a, a training system through looking back at all of the different checklists. This project management software has been huge. We would have never gotten to grow to this scale without having systems like that, um, but we do. We When a new person gets hired, we pick from all of these let's call them cards on a list and all of the cards that they're going to be trained on. And we set due dates on all the cards to kind of keep on a schedule. And then we check off all these things on the checklist and the card as they learn them. And we won't really check it off until they've really learned it. You know, not just the first time you told them about it. Um, and we're really systematic where we, we really have systematized everything. I mean, our manual, if something comes down the pike, we have like a digital note notebook when you're announcing something. And if it's um, something that's changing in policy or whatever, then it, then it goes into the manual. And we really are very systematic. We have a handbook. I did that before I got Jana, my operations manager, because to track she, she had some experience running an Etsy shop and a ceramics production facility. And I knew to get her, I needed to kind of figure out how to offer a retirement account and paid vacation days and be like a real employer you know just paying someone cash or whatever to help you might be all right when you're really really tiny but the more I run it like a real business the more successful it's been because people are used to working in in like typical jobs so if you can be pretty typical but but better right. um it it they understand what that means mm. you know because they've been employed they've worked for a paycheck they've had a review maybe they've had a real interview yeah,
0: yeah. You spend a lot of time, or it sounds like you spent a lot of time on systems and protocols, and that it can seem so daunting for a creative, you know, to think, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to sit and write out this operations manual, and oh my goodness, what a time sucker, and I want to be at the bench. And but uh, somebody said it well to me. They said, if anything that you do more than once really does need a a system, Mm -hmm. more than twice, maybe it was,
1: you know. And once you have those systems developed. Mm -hmm. They're like an assistant and an employee all in one. Um, they help you make sure you're doing it the way you thought of. And I, once you get to a certain scale, it's really easy to forget how you did it last time. I mean, we only all have so much bandwidth in our brains to make jewelry, make a website, sell it, take the pictures, deal with customers, la-da-da-da-da. And so the more systematic you can be with your approach, the better. And also developing policies around what you will or won't do for a customer is really important. I did that early on. Like, what's your return policy? Are you going to take back that piece that they wore for six months just because they asked? You know, like, so you look to traditional retail and what's, what's typical, you know? Um, do you take on repairs of jewelry you didn't make? I don't do the, that, you know, and I, I yeah. have a 30 day return exchange and we extend it around Christmas and it's very, very systematic. And that really helps once you're getting employees involved and customers expect a system. And then you can say, instead of being like, I don't feel like that's fair to me to take that back after six months, you can say, oh, our policy is 30 days and it's on the bottom of the receipt and on the terms you clicked on the website. And so it's, it's not so much you making some willy nilly decision. It's the policy. And so even though those things are a a pain in the butt to really like figure out they will pay you forward throughout the future and forever when you don't have to make those uncomfortable emotional decisions because it isn't it's a policy
0: Mm. yeah absolutely yeah we have to have some sort of standard and I think that it's um it's it's just so important you know to to have it clear from the the beginning you know what else it it represents is uh, to me it actually reflects respect like and professionalism like Mm -hmm. people are going to take you guys more seriously if you have these systems oh here's what I take down on a custom job here's what my return policy is here's how long you know it takes me to to turn around time all of those things when somebody's listening to you explain those things or they're reading it on your website or what have you they immediately take you more seriously
1: yeah because you know I have artist friends that are like yeah this person wanted this thing they're like yeah maybe in a year I could get that done I'm like I'm not buying anything from you. I mean, uh, you might be my friend and I really like your work, but like, I'm not going to, wait maybe like a year. I'm ready know. for that now. I want it now. Yeah, maybe like <laughs> three months. Um, right. And I guess it's fine if it's like, it's definitely a year, but I'll get you get you it in a year, whatever it, it's got to be for what you're doing. Obviously, we're, we saw Albert Paley's uh, keynote talk on these sculptures that are big as buildings and no way you're getting that in a year. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> so it really depends on what you're making. But um, yeah, those policies, they're really important and they will let let you off the emotional hook and have more of that emotional energy to put your passion into your making love that. So Beth, I know you want to go shopping downstairs. <laughs> yeah, the trunk show is going on and I it's know. so fun to see all of that jewelry, but I'm <sighs> I'm really enjoying answering your questions and it's fun to kind of take a little diver a deeper dive into what I, we're doing how up there. How are you
0: doing this and what you are doing. Yeah, how you're doing it. Um, I think that you shared so much important content all today. I feel like this is a 5 hour conversation we could have with a community But we won't do it today. Maybe next time we can do a part two or something like that. And you guys definitely let us know if there's a topic of interest that Beth mentioned that we didn't dive deep enough into. Maybe we can even do a phone call. Who knows? Um, I'd be happy to. That'd be awesome. And um, Beth, is there any final words like, we're talking to people out there, hopefully, who are our listeners are going to be across the gamut of different fa- phases of their career. But what about those total those people who are just at a loss? Who like I don't know how to bring this thing to life, and I don't know what I need to do first. Do you have any words of wisdom for them?
1: I would say take it in bite-sized pieces. You know, in the beginning, I simply put together an Etsy shop and learned how to take pictures, um, set up an email address, right, and get that email newsletter get a business card just start there and then keep keep building that yeah you know I I think like anybody who goes through art school I think or has used a computer these days young people can just like build a website right I was lucky enough to to do that but it's so easy to build a, a small website learn how to photograph your work learn how to price so you're not shooting yourself in the foot and you've got a business you know um and then grow that yeah uh, as much as, or as little as you want to. And so it may sound insurmountable, all these nuances. It's hard, it's interesting to think of all the different levels of people we could be talking to, but just, you make that business card and you say, Beth Milner jewelry, jewelry artist, you're in business. Right, yeah, and and oh, I love that. That's such a, such a good point is start
0: saying what you are, right? Like when, for me in my 20s, I started singing and I said, you know what, I have to start owning this. I'm a singer. I'm not the best singer in the world, but I love it, and it's something that I I am now doing, and the same as a jewelry artist, I am a I'm a jewelry
1: maker, I'm a bench jewel. I'm whatever, however you want to brand yourself. Yeah, we don't have any really concise terms on we that. Were, we've so been talking about at first, I called myself a silversmith, but I kind of take I don't make. Teacups and tea kettles, so I, I, I've I, kind of changed it to jewelry artist. I'm not really mm-hmm. identified with the bench jeweler thing, mm-hmm. which I don't know why, because I don't do repair work maybe. I always think of a bench jeweler doing repairs, repairs but yeah. it's up to you, however you want to define it. You could call yourself a silversmith, too, quite frankly. I, yeah. I, I know there's some tea kettle makers out there that'll be like, er yeah and, it, and I think a big thing is just you know that
0: statement it's like I am and that ownership of that statement is yeah like, I, I, am am artist, I am an artist I am an artist and being willing to share that with people that you cross paths with wear your work right wear your work out in public yeah um, oh gosh
1: network with just everybody and, and don't don't like weirdly give them your business card but just strike up a conversation like a normal human being ask some engaging questions of them and they're going to ask you and then you get to give the business card mm-hmm. you know and it, don't yeah. make it contrived but that's how it usually goes you yeah, know it's a flow and yeah always have those Cards ready to go for sure. Yeah,
0: Beth. Yeah, so much to share. Thank you so much for sitting with us today, and we're well, gonna you. be watching you. Tell everybody where they can find your your uh, your work and see all the things that you're doing.
1: Yeah, you can find us at BethMillner.com. So it's M-I-L-L-N-E-R. So Miller with an N. And um, you can find us. You can find all the social media links on the website. Probably a little easier than me spelling them all out. But we're Beth Millner Jewelry on Instagram, on Facebook. Actually, it might just be Beth Milner on Instagram. Oh, my. (laughs) Um, But you can find us on all the social media channels. If you like Twitter, I mean, we've probably got some automated posts going there. Um, you can come to our store or come to the Upper Peninsula. If you're a maker and you want to see the studio, send me a Facebook message. They might just be like, she's busy in the studio and that you might just get brushed off. But look at the store if you've just showed up and message me if you want a little bit of a tour. Tell me what you're doing and um, I'd be happy to show you where I work too and you can check out all my tools. (laughs) (laughs) We all love the tools. Yeah. Thanks again, Beth. Yeah, thank you. Yeah,
0: I always enjoy my time with you and uh, onward and upward. I wish you all the success in the world. You as well. Thank you. This wraps up season one of For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supply. It's been a blast. If you haven't made time to listen to the whole season, now's your chance to catch up. And don't worry, season two is coming this spring. We have more inspiring stories to share with you all and some exciting surprises as well. Please take a minute, give us a rating and a review. And if you haven't already, subscribe to stay in the loop. I am most grateful to have had the opportunity to spend this time with you all. Until we meet again, I hope you will keep making, learning new things, say yes to those challenges that scare you, apply for competitions, pass on your knowledge to others, and persevere through the trials of your business and craft. I'm Courtney Gray, sending love and wishing you all the highest possible success in life. Onward and upward.